everybody, Dan Urban here as always with my partner Scott Fontana on the other end of the line, ready to bring you another episode of the Couchside Judges. And this one is a little bit different than the norm. Not only are Scott and I going to discuss the judging at the latest Invicta FC event, rather than the usual UFC fair, but we got to do something special with the Kansas Athletic Commission. Tell them about it, Scott. We accepted an invitation to shadow judge the fights in Kansas City from our respective homes in New Jersey. That meant submitting our scores directly to the commission, simulating as best as possible the experience of judging fights in real time. Of course, nothing can replace being cage-side. But we also had a very rare peek afterward at how the commission holds judges and referees accountable after events. Dan, that was a cool experience, getting to watch these fights and work with the Kansas Athletic Commission on providing our, our shadow scores, right? Yeah, I had a lot of fun. I you know, was really intently focused, you know, making sure I didn't miss anything and got my scores correct in my mind anyway. Yes. Great experience, I think. When you were watching it, did you notice anything different about the way? Because obviously we watch fights every week and we're we're sitting there and we, we really are trying to judge as best we can. But this not the stakes, because it's not like our scores matter to anyone other than you and I. But did anything change for you? Now, knowing that your scores were being submitted directly to the head of the Kansas Athletic Commission, Adam Rohrbach. Nothing changed. I scored it as I understand the criteria to be written. Mm -hmm. And what really changed was I my focus was up a notch. And, you know, sometimes I try to make note of things like where the judges are sitting so we can reference that on the show. But this time, I you know, I didn't even You weren't bother. concerned with that. Yeah, there was no concern there. Yeah, because that was irrelevant to what we were, the exercise mm -hmm. which we were participating in. For me, yeah, I think it was kind of a very similar experience. I, I didn't think about anything any differently. I, I try, as far as looking at where the judges are, I try not to worry about that too much until I watch the second time, if mm -hmm. there's a need to. So I don't know if my experience changed that much, but it was interesting judging this and sitting there and judging it while also having the open scoring available where the fighters were told the scores. So for me, it was almost like I need to put my score down immediately because I need to beat those judges so they don't influence what I might say. You know, I don't want to be second guessing myself right away. So I would put and, you know, to to mention how this process worked. First off, we were invited on to this opportunity by Adam Rohrbach to do shadow judging remotely. So what he did was he set up a spreadsheet for Dan and I with, you know, red and blue corner in each column for each fight, numbered fights. And we our job was basically just to put 10 and 9 in each column or 10 and 8 uh, as, it, as it could have been. Dan and I did not give out any 10 eights on this particular evening. But for me, it was just kind of cool working with these people who, you know, this is what they do for a job. And Adam said it, he told us afterward that it didn't add any extra work to him at all it was really just here's a spreadsheet you guys do what you need to do so it was really easy for us um but it was cool it was it was very neat to to work with them on that and and to see the way they do things yeah i mean he's explained the technology is very easy to implement and uh, he proved it i mean he sent us a spreadsheet and said here just fill, fill it out exactly much. and and what was cool is that he had our scores available immediately thereafter and, you know, as throughout the night, you could tell he was checking in on us and, and looking at our scores and seeing, hey, you know, these guys crazy or not. And, you know, at the end, he at the end of the day, he said, hey, you know, these scores were, were perfectly fine. You, you did a good job. 
he didn't offer us any job or anything like that, which is fine. You know, we're, we're okay. <laughs> but, but, you know, just to hear from an actual athletic official, athletic commission official say, Hey, I thought you did a nice job. Sure. Yeah. It was, gives you a little bit of good feel. Yeah. It was a nice pat on the back. Yeah. But was also cool was that we were welcomed to sit in remotely uh, via zoom chat on the postmortem that the commission held with their judges and their referees to discuss each fight and how it was scored uh, and, you know, refereeing decisions, things like this, you know, any, you know, the open scoring, uh, which they refer to as real-time scoring. It was, it was neat to watch that too. I don't think that's a, a site that most, if, if, uh, if any media members really have gotten to see, Dan. Yeah. I don't know how many people are privy to that, uh, that inside look at things, you know, it's much, much more informal than I had uh, anticipated. It's not surprising from someone as approachable as Adam Rohrbach is for those who haven't listened to our interview with him uh, or don't know him in person, which would be just about everybody, I would think. But there's, you know, he is a affable man. He's an affable guy. <laughs> easy, easy to easy to strike up a conversation with. Yeah, it was it was very much. Uh... You know, hey guys, what'd you think of this fight? Why'd you go this way? Why'd you go that way? And you know, they answered you know rather candidly, and it was like a normal conversation they were having. Now we joined late. Uh, we we had trouble setting up our call as quick as they were able to get their thing started. So we joined in for the fourth fight of the night. Uh, the third fight was one that ended in the first round, uh, which we'll get to later. But we we were in time for the fourth fight, and this particular fight was actually the one that I think those watching on Twitter. Uh, and you and I found to be the most interesting because the scores were kind of all over the map. Yeah, this was the most interesting fight scorecard-wise. This fight was between Lindsey Van Zant and Alicia Zapatella. This was a, a an atom weight fight, 105 pounds, and it went down as a split decision for Zapatella. She won 29-27, so she got a 10-8, 30-27, and also lost one of the cards 29-28. So... We're talking about very different scores here. How did you score it? I had a 29-28 for Zapatella. I had a 29-28 for Van Zant. So let's let's start with round one here. You know, in round one, I thought this was a very easy round to score 10-9 for Zapatella. You know, she put out the ground and pound. She got a takedown early, and she was kind of in top side for much of the round. It wasn't punishing ground and pound. It was, you know, I don't know even know if it was particularly constant. But she was landing, you know, she was she was scoring, she was being effective. There wasn't a whole lot coming from Van Zant in much of that round. But for me, it, you know, it was still a very clear 10-9 round where you're not approaching the level of domination you'd like to see. Um, you know, it had duration in terms of being on top for a while, but not necessarily duration in the sense of uh, consistent, solid, constant offense that you kind of would like to see out of the 10-8 rounds, at least in my understanding of, of the criteria. Uh, what about you? I mean, is that, does that sound right to you? Yeah, I agree. Uh, easy round to give Zapatella. I scored a 10-9 for her. The ground and now pound. Now, what about the judges, though? The ground and pound was there. Two of the judges gave it 10-9 for Zapatelli, and one of the judges uh, gave it a 10-8 for Zapatelli. Yeah, so that judge uh, was, was Stephen Graham, and we were able to sit in. Stephen Graham, for, for the record, is an active fighter. He's a very rare case of an active fighter who is also an active judge fascinating example you know you, you talk about people saying oh we need more fighters judging this is a fighter who's still fighting and judging so he's an interesting uh individual in that sense but he graded it a 10-8 and when he spoke in the postmortem which we were able to sit into 
essentially, he was saying that there was no offense coming from Van Zant, um, and that when evaluating through the three D's damage, duration, and dominance, that he was able to feel comfortable going a 10 eight in that round. That was, that was essentially the reasoning there. I think Dan and I both disagree with it, but it is interesting to see a judge come out there and confidently, he was very confident in his score. There was no uncertainty from him. You could tell as he was talking that it, it was coming from somebody who, who felt that he did the right thing. I disagree with it, but as, if that's how he understood it, that was how he understood it. And, you know, Adam Roback kind of mentioned, uh, afterward that he saw it as kind of like a borderline so he understood he was he appreciated the the fact that Stephen Graham had a reason for his score and I respect that too you know I would like more judges to be able to be allowed to come out and say why yeah absolutely uh I like like you I, I don't agree with the 10-8 just didn't see you know while she's in side control there was a lot of lulls in the action like where she was just on top not exactly. doing any offense so yeah that's that's where you're talking about the the duration thing you know is duration just being on top i i don't understand it that way as it's been explained to me by people such as rob hines and and uh, other individuals who you know judge or train judges so yeah i'm with you there round two how did you have round two actually this was this was a little bit different round yeah round two was a bit of an interesting round i scored it 10-9 for van zant yeah okay so i went the other way but even as i was watching it i saw this as a round that i'm saying oh this is going to be a swing round because for about four minutes or so right we have zapatella who is you know she gets takedown she's landing shoulder strikes on the mat you know she's kind of doing similar stuff to the first round maybe not quite as dominant uh, not that she reached a level of dominance in round one but I thought it was a not as impactful striking. You know, the shoulder strike she was landing maybe weren't as as strong. But then in the final minute of the round, that's where Van Zant takes over. So what did you see in that final minute, Dan? Yeah, I saw she lands that big right, uh, probably the biggest strike of the entire fight. She landed yeah. a, a head kick, uh, that spinning heel kick. These were one-off shots, but I felt they outweighed any kind of offense or effective offense, I should say that Zapatelli had. I mean, yeah, she passed and she had maybe those shoulder strikes, but is that really that effective? I don't know. Uh, not to the degree that Van Zandt had in my eyes. thought she stole it in the final minute. I understand that. That's totally viable to me, and I think probably anybody sitting around would kind of say, okay, they, they can see what you're going for there. I don't know what the consensus is on Twitter. I stayed off Twitter when we were doing this because I didn't want anyone to be influencing my scores. Same for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, yeah, I, so- I, I stayed off social media for the whole event. Exactly, exactly. I thought it was easier. The one thing I did check in right before, uh, and we'll talk about this later, but right before the first fight when the power went out. Oh, yeah, I had to see what was going on. Yeah, that, I was curious about that, that too. Yeah. But but I, I did, uh, I stayed off basically from the time action started. We'll get to the power outage in a minute. <laughs> but, but yeah, so this was a close round. You know, we went, you and I were split, obviously, but what did the judges uh, that this evening have to say? So two of the judges uh, saw it for Van Zant ten nine, and mm-hmm. one of the judges went ten nine for Zapatella. Who saw it like me for for Zapatella? That judge was Masio La Selva. Okay, right on. That's my dude. He he saw it the same way I did, but that was really close, and I have no problem with anybody who has said Van Zant there too, because it was really really close as far as I'm concerned. And I thought the whole fight hinged on that because round three, this was a pretty easy round for Van Zant as far as I was concerned. More damaging strikes. Yeah, you know, I, this this was much more. She was able to keep it standing a lot more. She even had a back take. 
yeah, she took the back, even though, you know, she got passed again on the ground. But I thought uh, Van Zandt was definitely the more effective offensive fighter in this round. I thought it was a 10-9. Yeah, ten, definitely a 10-9. You know, it didn't come close to any 10-8 territory. Like I said, we didn't see any 10-8s in, in terms of the way we evaluated these fights. But we actually had two dissenters in this round who went for Zapatella. And I just thought, I thought that was uh, off. Uh, that I was I was not as big. A, I think you can make a, 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 an easier case for ten eight round one than ten nine round three for Zapatella. See, I, I definitely thought we were looking at a, a split draw here. Okay, uh, going into it, cause I, I didn't think uh, Zapatella really had a prayer in that round. I don't know. No, I don't think Zapatella had this one at all. Um, one of the judges said that they saw control, uh, you know, an effective grappling. You know that that was there. That was there. I thought that when you're talking about effective striking and grappling, I think the effective striking certainly was more effective here and and by a wider margin for Van Zant. So I, I thought it was an easy, easier round to go for Van Zant. Yeah, as did I. In the end, the right woman got the win. Zapatella, 29-28 on my card. It, it ended up going the right way. As far as I'm concerned, I know you dissented, uh, but it was really close. So if it had gone the other way, you wouldn't see me complaining. I think it was really close. I don't. I don't think there is a right winner in this fight. I think it's whichever way. That's how. It's how the cards fall. It's just. It's just the way the cards fell on this particular evening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I think you're right. You know, let's let's move on though to the next fight that we wanted to talk about. This was earlier in the evening. A fight between Trisha Cicero and Laura Gallardo, which Cicero won by split decision, all twenty nine twenty eights, one way or the other. Did you agree with Cicero getting the win? I definitely agreed with Cicero getting the win. Uh, I had a 30-27. Yeah, so did I. I I really thought she did enough to get all three rounds. It was more, it was really a grappling versus striking argument of how the rounds were evaluated because in round round one and round two, Gallardo was much more successful in asserting her, her game plan to get takedowns. I didn't think she did enough after getting those takedowns, particularly in round one. I thought round two was a little bit closer because, you know, there was that point where she kind of got her down against the cage and she was able to land some some decent ground and pound a little bit. But that was really the only highlight for her in that round. Yeah, I thought round one, she got the takedown, no doubt, but she didn't do anything offensive after getting the takedown. And even in the opening exchange, she's coming in hard trying to grab a clinch, grab a hold, and she's just eating punches to the face, which allowed Cicero to get double unders and and fend her off. And, you know, throughout the round when she wasn't being held down, you know, she was the one winning the striking. Yeah, I agree there too. The one thing I'll say though, this speaks very highly to real-time scoring because you and I sit there and we thought Cicero won the round. We, we feel pretty confident she won the round. Mm-hmm. Her coaches could certainly have said the same thing. They could have said, hey, you're, you're hitting her, you're landing on her, you're winning this round. They could have felt that way. But they were told, no, you are not winning this round. So they can adjust and say, listen, what you did just didn't work. Yeah, the judges aren't seeing it your way. Yeah, so you need to change something up. And there definitely was, and, and Adam told us in particular, he pointed this out, and this was his belief, that it definitely changed the way that Cicero came out and fought for the remainder of the fight. I didn't think it changed dramatically. I thought she just had better success in stopping the takedown. 
uh, and landing more. But she, you know, she, there was a little bit more urgency probably. So I think it did allow for a fighter to adjust to the way the judges were seeing the round. Yeah, I thought she adjusted very well. Like you said, more urgency in stopping the takedown because maybe she felt, oh, if I get taken down, I mean, I'm not taking any damage really. What you know, I'll just stand back up and I'll reset and I'll throw some strikes. But now she's realizing, oh, these takedowns are scoring in the judge's mind, so I have to prevent being put on my back. It was it was really cool, and this is why I think fighters should be really pushing promoters, commissions, anyone who can influence decisions on this to get real time scoring, open scoring, live scoring, whatever you want to call it. You know, rose by any other name that they really should want this because it can inform you and let you adjust your game on the fly. And you can say, op- okay. you can opt out of it. It's you not- can. You can, in fact, opt if out of really it. you really feel thing, that way. One thing that Adam even told us was that all the fighters opted in, first off. They all wanted it, and no one declined it. And eight out of the ten women fighting on this particular card, they chose to see both the cumulative scorecards as well as the individual round scores, whereas one fighter chose to only see the individual round score that just happened and then one fighter chose to only have the cumulative score Mm -hmm. and it was also told to us by uh, the commission officials that all of the fighters were indeed being told what the score was so there was no declining to tell the fighter because the way it worked if you didn't watch it the commission officials were showing on google chromebooks to the coaches from the other side of the cage that this is what the score is so it's still up to the coach to relay that information to the fighter but they all got it yeah they all used it uh told their fighter what's going on and the fighters adjusted how they saw fit and and for again cicero it worked out really well mm-hmm. she came back and definitely won round two and round three on all three cards correct yeah it was a split decision she lost round two on one judge's card okay yeah i, I mean i disagree with that but in the end, it didn't matter because she did get the win that she deserved. And maybe she wouldn't have. Who knows? You know, if round two was close enough that one judge went the opposite direction, even still, maybe just knowing and being able to adjust her strategy a little bit was just enough to get the round for another judge's card and, and get the win. So good on her. Yeah, she yeah, she was able to get the win. I expect Cicero to be a vocal supporter. <laughs> she should be yeah. of this. Trisha Cicero, <laughs> if you're listening. Do your duty. Pass it on. Tell everybody this works because it worked for you. (laughs) (laughs) There were two other fights that went the distance on this card. The first fight I thought was a very difficult fight to score. You know, we're talking about two very early in their career prospects in Jania Gooden and Shelby Corrin. Gooden got the unanimous decision. 30-27, 29-28, 29-28. I thought this was really hard to score, Dan. What about you? I thought... It was a tough first fight because it was so close. Yeah. Very back and forth. Trying. I wouldn't say it was an impossible round uh, fight to score. No. But I, th- I thought it was it was a challenging round. Yeah, it, w- it was a it was a good challenge. You know, welcome us to the uh... <laughs> trial by fire for sure. There really just wasn't a lot of striking in this round. Um, in this entire fight. Not much, but I mean, Gooden had some you know good strikes early, but really the first round. You know, you score mostly on the ground game. Yeah. Uh, Corrin had some really strong sub attempts. Yeah, I thought the the arm bar in particular that she had near the end of the round was very deep. That was a really deep arm bar. And I thought that for sure in a a reasonably close grappling round, I thought for sure that swung it her way. 
Yeah, though. Um, but I, I don't believe the judges saw it that way, did they? Well, actually, one judge did. Nick okay. Nick Barron saw it for uh, Corin. That's my dude, Nick the, Barron. Good uh, job. The other two judges were Stephen Graham and Greg DeVilbus. They saw it for Gooden. Yeah, I mean, look, it, I don't want to like throw them under the bus here because it was, again, a challenging round to score. And also, they get paid to do this, and I don't. But I'm sitting at home, and from what I watched, that armbar in what was already a close round with both of them having you know, their own submission attacks and, and good in landing some strikes. I really did think, though, that Corrin's armbar was enough to sway the round very narrowly. I mean, she even en- she ended the round in a knee bar attack. Yes, she did. That that counts, too. I mean, she, you, know, you can't grade what could have happened if the round kept going, but it was there. You know, it was locked in. Right. She, had an ar- she had a knee bar. Yeah, I, I definitely scored this one for Corrin. I thought the sub attempts were, were really strong. And how Gooden's arm didn't break beats me. What about round two? Did you also have that for Corrin like I did? Round two, I scored for Gooden. Oh, okay. How did you, why, what made you go that uh, way? I thought she had the better striking, just slight edge. Okay. Uh, when she took, she got the takedown and mount and ground and pound, I felt that was better than that last minute armbar. I did not think that was all that uh, tight. Oh, see, see, I went the other way. I thought that the ground and pound that she got from from Mount was not sustained enough, and it wasn't. It didn't really do enough. And I thought that her leg kicks were actually particularly effective, Corin. Okay. So for me, you know, I went the other way. Maybe I'm wrong here. I don't know. Did anybody side with me? Any of the judges, or was I on an island? One judge side with with you. That was Greg Devilbus. Good job, Devilbus. You and I. <laughs> the other two judges scored it for Gooden. Okay. And. Uh, round three, what about what do you have for round three? Round three, this was a good in round. I, I think this was a pretty easy one for her because she had the good, nice stand-up striking still, um, which she was landing throughout, you know, even even though I thought that the leg kicks were pretty effective in round two. That, you know, that was just one part of why I gave it to Corin. But yeah, round three, Gooden's the better striker. She just is. Um, not by miles, but she was better. Um, and she was winning there. She had some sub attacks as well. So I thought she definitely asserted herself in that round. Yeah, I, I agreed with you on that one. I thought she had some good knees as well. So then you had good in winning the round twenty nine twenty or the fight twenty nine twenty eight, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I went the other way. I I don't have a big problem with being Maybe. the minority score on this one and, and letting other people dictate who won. Maybe I'm wrong, but for me, I definitely did think Corin did enough to win the fight. Yeah, I guess it it all comes down to round two again, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, more or less. Although you know, not not necessarily on everybody's scorecard. No. Yeah, but close fight, very close fight. Um, very evenly matched. Yeah, it, and that's a credit to Shannon Knapp uh, and Invicta for putting together a fight between two prospects who Corin, I believe, was making her professional debut. So to be able to match up two fighters like that and to produce an extremely close fight like that and a fun fight and a fun fight. It was a fun fight. It was you could tell these were prospects. Um, and that's not to be derogatory. It's just there at that point in their career, and they haven't been as sharpened as someone like Zapatella and Van Zant. Um, but but it was a good fight. It was a fun fight. Yeah, definitely a fun fight. The main event, though, this was actually the most cut and dried fight to score. I think, right? Yeah, we didn't. Nobody swayed at all in our scorecards. And, and this was Emily Ducati getting the win over former UFC strawweight Juliana Lima, and it was twenty nine twenty eight on all three cards, and that's. What you and I both had, right? Yeah, twenty nine, twenty eight. The fight was it was pretty simple, you know. You're, you're talking about a round one where Lima was landing pretty hard, landing an uppercut, kind of you know early midpoint of the roundish, and landing a bunch of knees in the clinch. Uh, you know, definitely framing very well for those knees, and, and it was 
it marked up Ducati's face. Yeah, she was just the way more impactful striker. And yeah, like then, you said, and her eye was swollen. Not that anybody would have thought Ducati won round one, but she was able to be told because of real-time scoring mm-hmm. after round one. All right, you lost that one. Now you need two more to try and get a decision win. So she had to come out and take them both. And sure enough, she did. She like really woke up after yeah, that she first def- round. Yeah, she definitely did. You know, credit to her. But round two was close. I think it it, ha- it took that last-minute mount followed by the, the good elbows to take it. Oh, see, I didn't think it was that close. Um, you know, I I thought she had a big striking edge, especially as the round went on. Yeah, she was there, but she sealed it. She sealed it, yeah, for sure. She she absolutely locked it in. You know, she opened up a cut on Lima underneath her right eye. That ended up being not not a problem, but it got opened up even more in the third round too. Um, but this this was definitely a a situation where you saw Lima not necessarily losing steam. But she totally lost the momentum she had in round one. And then round three, Ducati, once again, she's landing more impactfully, you know, especially in the latter half of the round, right? Yeah, the final two minutes of the round, she she took over. She owned it, yeah. She she left her mark. She said, I'm going to win this fight. And she did, yeah. It was an easy call for all the judges, you know, both the paid ones and the ones shadowing from Jersey. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, all, that was an easy one. We all had 29-28, all five yep. of us. Who were the three judges on that one? Three judges on that one were Greg DeVilbis, Stephen Graham, and Nick Barons. Good job, gents. You did a good job there. Now, we also, before we forget, we definitely want to circle back to a weird event that happened right at the beginning of the of the fights here, where everyone's sitting at home watching the fights, and, and we've got Corn and Gooden. They're coming out. They're about to get introduced, and all of a sudden, the feed cuts out. And everyone's sitting there like, what happened to the feed? Yeah, I, I was... didn't know what had happened. I, my wife was picking up something next to me on the table and i thought she knocked it out no she she was wondering if she touched something and knocked it out but but uh as, as it turned out it was a generator at the facility where the invicta card was being held which was it's a police athletic league that used to be a church but is something that invicta uses from time to time for i believe they're weigh-ins correct yeah for the ceremonial that, that what Adam told us? yeah the ceremonial weigh-ins the ceremonial weigh-ins that's where they do this but anyway so they were at this facility. The power at the church was fine, but the generator that the Invicta team brought along apparently went out for one reason or another. So they had to get it back up and they were just, they had to have the fighters sitting in the cage waiting for that, unfortunately. So that was tough. And they, they had kind of come up with a, a fallback plan and said, hey, listen, if the power cuts out again, we're going to stop the fight immediately, take a break. And that's what they have to do. But fortunately, that wasn't necessary, right? Yeah, thank God. That would, that yeah. would be horrible. But credit to the commission, you know, Adam told us this is what their plan was. They were able to uh, to get it done. And again, it went, it went by smoothly. And before we go, we should definitely mention another point where the lights almost went out, right? Yeah. But this was not, this was more of the figurative lights out uh, in the Chelsea Chandler against Liv Parker fight. The only fight that didn't go beyond a first round. Yes. I mean, that's what the 209 does. <laughs> Chelsea Chandler, a Stockton, California fighter, and she definitely uh, fought like one, as was remarked on during the broadcast. Yeah, she brought she brought the thunder. I mean, she landed a huge body shot, which I think was the end Ooh. of the fight. Yeah, I think that was the beginning of the end, if nothing yeah. else. These were featherweights, too, so these are the biggest ladies that were on the card and, and really part of the Invictus stable. So, you know, the, the power that they bring to the table is different than what Zapatella and Van Zanter bringing as Adam weights, 40 pounds lighter. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Chandler, she, 
He got her with the body shot. She knocked her down. Do you remember what the strike was that she knocked her down with? Uh, maybe a left hook. Maybe a left hook. And uh, but once it got down there, it was you know, she pounced for the rear naked choke and and yeah, it game flattened over. her out. It was not gonna go any other way. So at that point, Liv Parker became Die Parker. <laughs> That's so cheesy. It's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. Oh my god. Oh, all right. On that note, but 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 at the very least, it made you laugh. It did. Yeah. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> Dad jokes. I got them. (laughs) And that's a wrap on our experience as remote shadow judges. Hopefully once the world kicks COVID to the curb, we can shadow judge in person in Kansas, New Jersey, New York, wherever. We'd love a closer look at the real thing. For now, check back with us on Monday as we finally return with past judgment. Please make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Couchside Judges, as well as myself at Dan Urban MMA. You can also find me on Twitter at Scott underscore Fontana. Don't forget to subscribe to us on whatever service you use to listen. Take care, guys. Stay healthy and safe. See ya. See ya.